0: Uh, and I, and I'm with that dilemma too. I think there's for me, there's this balance of wanting to let out the warrior spirit that needs to crusade and fight and stand for what's right so the the question is like how can we let that warrior spirit passion out while having peace inside Crap in my life that I realize like, hey when I'm scared, it, I'm not going to die. So I can tolerate the emotion of fear inside my body. I'm not afraid to feel afraid. Uh, I'm willing to kind of go into the dark forest. And then I think another virtue of, of bravery for any individual who's exercising bravery in the moment is you're brave enough to trust what your eyes, your ears, your brain, your heart, your gut are telling you. Now, Converse that, where contrasts that with what we're told is our reality. And it's like, quite honestly, I'm, I'm too brave to believe that what I'm told is my reality, is my reality, because I, I don't always know what the truth of the situation is, but I know what bullshit tastes like. You've gotta be brave to um, defy what other people tell you is your reality. And I think it's the same sort of archetypal pattern where when we're all children, oftentimes we're told in one way or another what we should be. And you know, what, what our parents wish for us to be. But eventually, if we're gonna grow into being ourselves, we have to betray what we're told we should be. And and I think this is that same pattern. You know, our mainstream narrative, Tony Fauci. Bill Gates, you know everybody's telling us what our reality is. Yet my eyes, my heart, my brain tells me, no, that that's not my reality. Uh, uh, I don't know what. No, it's not my reality. So, you know, I, I think what what you you asked, how am I so smart? And I, I don't know that I'm smart yet. I, I can see what's in front of me and. I can trust my senses. So, man, I I, I would just lastly on that say, I, I think whoever created us, whether it's God, universe, Santa Claus, like whoever's up there, I think it is. It, it's dishonoring of the creative intelligence that we came from for us not to trust our unique expression and perception of the world. Um, that's why you know i'm I haven't watched the news for fifteen years because I would rather trust what my eyes and ears tell me and and anymore the idea of getting your news from the news I think is like getting financial advice
1: from broke people and he one of the things he says I love is you have to divorce your parents, yeah because then you can come back and love them and then the expectations are gone and you can see the reality of them and you can honestly love them for, you know, uh, um, for their virtues rather than being conscious of sort of where they didn't perform or what they owed you and they didn't give you. And And we really have to divorce everybody in our life in that way, kind of, and all of the assumptions of life, you know, and we just have to question stuff
0: Anyway. I, I, I love that, you know, Buddha's wisdom, question everything. And, you know, that John Bradshaw wisdom of divorce your parents or divorce the me- the of parents of our, our authority figures here in adult life. Because, you know, how the hell will we ever know ourselves if we don't leave who we were in proximity to our parents who we were in proximity to the authority figures. And and I think at the heart of it, who all of us once were to our, our parents, external authority figures, is we were powerless. You know, it, it, as a child, tri- if, if you never leave home, you'll always be playing that powerless role to my mom and dad. And we see, obviously, a lot of that same childish pattern of powerlessness being played out today where people will, you know, just mindlessly accept without question what CDC has to say, the world health organization or Tony Fauci. And it's, you know, um, dangerous when we don't question things as, you know, as your your wise father taught me. Uh, uh, It was just six years ago that I took the chains off and really figured out like, hey, man, I, uh, I don't need to be a slave to the shoulds and the expectations that I still carry around in my head about who I think my parents think I'm supposed to be, society, like, uh, like a life coach out to help people. And, and that's when I let my humor out in a professional setting you know, via, via videos and now I'm doing stand-up comedy all over the place as well. Uh, but yeah, long story.
1: Just one other, your thoughts on one other thing. Because you mentioned the comedy clubs. Closing. And one of the techniques of every tyranny in history, and this is why I think what you do is so important, is to control populations, you need to control self-expression. Yeah. You need to crush culture destroy it. the Nazis burned the books, they shut down, you know, the plays, they shut down the comedy clubs at that time, which were famous in Berlin, um, and the dance clubs, and they, or, you know, you go to the countries in the Mideast where culture is utterly obliterated. Yeah. And of course, the, you know, the most important vector we have of self-expression is our face. Yeah. And what does it do to a culture when you know we know this from these theocracies in the Middle East? Like you know, your religious and you want to wear a bur- burka, that's fine. But if the government is telling you to wear a burqa, now it becomes a symbol of obedience, of, uh, of subservience, of of control. Yeah. And the the baby um, feels
0: so much connection, seeing her mother's face, her father's face. When we lose our right to expose our face, we lose connection. Um, And when we are not connected with our fellow brothers and sisters, we're gonna be pretty damn obedient because Big Brother is telling us what to do. We need a connection to feel safe. We're humans, we're pack animals. So uh, man, it, the the mask issue. It, it feels like we're we're being trained in an exercise of obedience to surrender our connection. Uh, and part of that is through self expression and self expression, both facially, joy, pain, uh, comedy, all the things. That self expression is how we get connection and. Uh, man, that, that is not something I think we should just do lightly. Uh, I think it really needs a lot of examination. We were just uh, about the civil rights and human dignity of being able to expose our faces and share our faces and not have laws made up that mandate. It's illegal, uh, that mandate we cover our face and make it illegal to have the human dignity uh, of exposing your face
2: Hey good day and welcome back I um, that was JP Sears being interviewed by Bobby Kennedy Jr. Uh, they had a really great chat. It was about an hour. Bobby Kennedy was kind of, you know, he'd been working at exposing. He actually started as an environmental lawyer and working with communities, trying polluters, toxic metals, typically. and became mercury dumping, essentially, into groundwater, I believe. And that work led him into the vaccination story because he frequently had mothers coming to his uh, attention saying, if you really want to go after mercury poisoning, you have to go after vax- vaccines. And there was one particularly persistent mother that came to his house and refused to leave until he read the documentation. And so that's what got him into, he, he wasn't a vaccine warrior, and his entire family publicly urged him to, urged him to stay out of it. But anyway, he he said when he came on on the scene, or I mean when J.P. Sears was coming on the scene, that he was so impressed with how J.P. Sears so quickly could cut through the BS in a way that a lawyer just can't do it. <laughs> and so he sought out J.P. Sears for that interview. And I and I and I think some of that analysis that uh, J.P. Sears had about the parental dynamic and divorcing your parents and divorcing everything you've ever been and divorcing people who have Attach themselves to what they thought you were. That's just a comment I haven't really heard, but it, uh, to me it, it resonates completely. So I wanted to share that. At the end, I have uh, two clips from two recent interviews of Michael Jones where he's predicting some of the dynamics planned around the election. I hope you enjoy those. One was in Australia, an Australian chef who's running for office in Australia, who's, who's tired of the uh, outrage down there. Anyway, I hope you enjoy those too. And I want to give you an update on, on some inspiration I've had. And But this dialogue around, uh, around personal net worth, um, it really came to me from the London Real interview with Dan Pena. So Dan Pena has become sort of a, it's a sponsor in a way. I think maybe it's more of a guide to the London Real operation, I eventually sought out his interview, and I, and I think he was an interesting character in his view on money and things, so I wanted to to get into that. But first, I'll just share some inspirations and sources I've stumbled on in the past 10 days, and then we'll get into this discussion about personal net worth. It has dawned on me since the beginning of, at least since the beginning of July, This the use of that term. You know, personal net worth. That just sounds like a trap, right? I mean, that <laughs> someone's got us convinced that digits on a page equates to what your value in the in your experience is. So I'd, I'd really like to discuss that or analyze that and the behaviors it drives. But last night I finished uh, David Ike's the answer. Um, I think they planned to make that six hours. It was a live event. There was no audience, but he was in an auditorium. Uh, It was outstanding, as always. He didn't have, you know, energetically, it's all him. So it's probably more difficult as a speaker um, when he's not sort of being, doesn't have an audience to play off of in real time. But he was great. He was great, as always. I am finding it very difficult to look at the pandemic story anymore. I just find the whole thing tedious. All the facts are out. All the players are exposed and people are still going along with it. So I, I had to really push myself to listen to the first six hours. And it wasn't all about the pandemic, but it was about the dynamics that have set it up. and The dynamics of the controllers, which is, you know, David Icke's life work. But the last two hours, um, it, it was great. I mean, the whole thing was great. He, he's, he's very, he, he tackles the whole thing at a level that no one else does and he's been right (laughs) at a level that no one else has from the beginning of March but the last two hours I loved it it's exactly what I needed it's and I think it's probably what he prefers to be talking about which is possibilities and imagination what humanity could be and so that was that was completely worth worth the price of admission on its own. So I recommend that. David Icke, The Answer on, on Iconic. The Dan Pena interview, I think you'll find that. I mean, some people, some of his language and some of his attitude and some of his story and some of his background, you'll probably find off-putting. But he's the type of character that we don't ever get to hear from anymore because he's so um, outspoken and he's got such a strong point of view on these matters. So it's so refreshing for me. He's he's got a a strongly alpha male energy, speaking straight from the gut all the time. So uh, it's it's refreshing to me that he's not not editing himself as he's talking. I just finished an old Jordan Peterson interview that that, uh, Brian Rose sent around from his podcast. It was right after the final Peterson-Harris debate in the UK-02 arena. Which I had never I don't think I've ever heard that one before. Anyway, it was a great interview and it's, it was also inspiring and it was so nice to hear his voice again. so that was fresh to me. I also shared two Whitney Webb articles on the podcast page. Uh, one is around the dynamics that they've been running scenarios on around the election, which is consistent with what uh, E Michael Jones will be saying at the end of, at the end of this recording. I also shared a documentary that is available for free. I just can't remember if it's on YouTube or if it's on the, its own website, but I shared that link for the Troy von Martin hoax, which was extremely well done and engaging story of really the, the origins of the BLM movement and how it was built on a false flag event. I mean the 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 the, the actual incident happened, but but the portrayal in the media and in the court was proven to be wrong, flawed, erroneous, scandalous. And so the documentary exposes uh, the games that were played around around stumping that tragic incident into a political movement. And so I, I found that extremely engaging. Okay, so the, in terms of personal net worth, I wanted to talk about it for a few reasons one i think i think it's it's a belief that's underlying a lot of our western values people I, I don't know if we talk about it but people tend to believe if you're successful and justifies the means if you're successful materially then you're a successful person there's no there's no cross check in the means or methods that got you there and there's that expression, that, you know, the only problem with winning the rat race is you're still a rat. <laughs> so the, I, I remember this one anecdote. I think I might have mentioned it in one of the early podcasts, but basically there was a promotion at work and, uh, and the guy was just a complete snake. I mean, he was smearing his coworkers and uh, self promoting himself all out of self interest and, you know, shining the management. And he got the promotion. And I'm talking about it outside of work in some kind of a social situation. And somebody said, well, you got to hand it to him. He got the promotion. (laughs) And I'm like, no, (laughs) you don't got to hand it to him. If you violate every, you know, uh, principle that we all subscribe to fundamentally, it doesn't matter what you get at the end. I mean, you're, you're a blowhard. And not only that, you have to live with yourself if that's how you're advancing yourself. I mean, it's not like you can behave that way in one in one domain and then you're going to stop. You're just going to proceed on that track. So I just think it's it's sort of indicative of this this sneaky soft Satanism that has permeated our society. And I think we've got these cultural dissonances that we ca- all carry around. We don't talk about, um, but it's what's driving. A lot of this behavior. I mean, that's what's, it's what's enabling the the darkest time uh, any of us have lived through. And it is that principles and ethics and character are secondary. I'm not saying that's the case for, um, for everyone, but I think that that is permeating the youngers now under 35, maybe under 30. Those people, they, they somehow have come to believe that they know what's right, and that getting the job is all that matters, and doesn't matter how you got there, and it's more the image that matters, because everyone's going to think you're successful if your image looks successful. It's it's something along those lines, and that's what's um, that's to me the the petroleum or the kerosene that's driving this whole thing, because you you can't have this many people standing by either complicit or passive. Passengers in this kind of uh, tyranny without them checking their character and their principles at the door. And so uh, De- uh, Jeff Berwick sent around a-, a clip, well, included a clip in one of his recent videos from Dollar Vigilante, and it was an Ohio high school, middle school football game. It looked like there was a small crowd in the bleachers, completely spaced that had decided amongst themselves that they weren't going to do the mask thing, it looked like. And this one woman that they picked out, I bet you they picked her because she had the strongest sense of self. She absolutely knew her sense of self, her sense of space, her ability to make her own choices. Anyway, some toy cop, they said that he had police decorations on. He didn't didn't carry himself like a real cop. Anyway... He picked her out of the crowd, and she was sitting with her son, I think, or at least a child, and brutally, brutally dragged her out of the stands in this tiny little isolated area where she was sitting all alone. And the crowd, including a guy, I mean a middle-aged man, sitting there in his his seat cushion, watching the whole thing, didn't say a thing. He might have stood up when she got tased, but, but he didn't do a single thing. And then the woman that was filming it didn't do a single thing, but she was proud of herself for filming it. You know, I got it. This is what they say, I got it. Like as if, as, if, as if like watching it go by. I just think that the, first of all, people are in some kind of a trance, okay, from their screens and from their internet. They're in this little bubble of their own world. And when they see something happening in front of them, there's some ability they're dissociating, that that's not happening to them. It's sort of like they're watching it on a screen. And then they pull out their camera. Well, then they are watching it on the screen. Um, but I'm just thinking what's going through that man's mind uh, while this is happening. And I think he's probably got a hundred excuses, you know, that he's used for all kinds of inactive behavior. But, you know, what's my wife going to say if I get involved? What's what's my employer going to say? What's the risk to me? Well, how could this reflect on me? This could go badly for me. He could call more cops. I could get entangled here and lose. You know, all these things excuses to not do anything but I mean that's the definition of a bad person a bad human being I mean you've got to live with yourself being filmed like that for the rest of your life being a bad human being you know like that that, if you retire on your millions you got to live with that that's the person you're gonna retire with the guy that sat there and watched um, a helpless teenage girl get manhandled clearly no reason. Anyway, so I I just think that this is an example of the soft Satanism. And it comes, there's all kinds of flavors. There's the idol worship from Hollywood. That's one aspect of it. There's the personal net worth idea. There's like my, and then I think people like this, and I've been working with a lot of them, I think they live their life in a little spreadsheet. I think they've got their revenues and their expenses and I mean, it must kill the spontaneity of their life completely. but they've got a plan, you know, the retirement plan with the dream, and anything that could threaten that little box in their spreadsheet, they won't step outside of it. They won't they won't do it. So they're, they've, they've imprisoned themselves literally into a little matrix and uh, they've dehumanized themselves. What a terrible existence, drudgery. That's what I think the value system. It's coming through. I, I, I think there are lots of people speaking out and lots of people waking up. So I'm not all doom and gloom. I'm just trying to diagnose what we're witnessing. So then this conversation's been running in my mind really since the beginning of July. Well, you know, how do I explain what's motivating me to other people or or and and how is that compare to what motivates other people? And so one, I mean, one is this test, I think someone said it, maybe it was during the Peterson series, that Harris-Peterson series, but someone said that one good image of your conscience is your future self. You know, if you don't like the idea of higher power or God or any of that, just imagine yourself on your deathbed, uh, looking back on your own behavior and your, and your choices, given the situation and given your understanding. And uh, that's a pretty good test (laughs) for a conscience. The other one is your kids. I mean, that's one people are mentioning, looking your kids in the eye. How did you behave during those times? You know, because the younger they are, the more pure their their view is, the less programmed they are. I think that's another really, really good judge. But uh, in terms of other kind of philosophies, I like Peterson's. Peterson's got one. So I'll just go through sort of different ethos that I've heard put forward around this nobody actually says personal net worth is the is the but but that's the way a lot of us live and Dan Pena his what his slogan was money isn't all that matters but money is the only thing anybody counts and Zen doesn't pay the bills you know so that's what he was saying in that interview and these are valid points these are valid points and definitely, definitely. I mean, you know, would uh, would I be talking about Brian Rose if he wasn't commercially successful? He's doing all the right things, but if he wasn't commercially successful, would I be talking about him? You know, probably not. So there's certain, we get a, it's a KPI that we all accept as valid, is market acceptance. You know, your growth, your eyeballs, those kinds of things. So the other, the other kind of philosophy, so Peterson's is, a, he said a few things on this topic. One is, I don't know if he said dominate, but he, master, mastery. Whatever domain you find yourself in, pursue excellence and mastery. And he also said, you have to be willing to be a fool to be a master. So you have to stumble into complete novice fool to uh, and embrace that challenge and accept it to grind it out to become a master in whatever domain that's that's calling you. And I definitely, I loved his biblical series, Peterson's, and I have this year had a number of times where I felt like I took a bite of the, he used this metaphor, the the biblical metaphor, took a bite of the apple of knowledge, realized that I'm an infant in in a certain domain that I need to get on top of, and then go through that journey. And it really sucks at the beginning. You really feel like, and that's what keeps people from doing it. Like, for example, there were some investment strategies I was looking into a year ago. The couch potato strategy, it was a teacher, I think it was a Canadian teacher in Asia. But I realized when I looked into that, even though I've got lots of business training and lots of business experience, I had never, I didn't, I was a novice in that space, in the personal investment management space. I mean, I definitely hadn't looked at it for 10 years. I was outsourcing it. And I felt like such a tool for a few days while I was reading that book and doing searches and downloading and looking into the different um, exchanges, and I could it would have been an easy easy prey for a shark that wanted to manipulate me during that, that time. But anyway, uh, the, my point is that whole be willing to be a fool to to pursue mastery. Once you get used to that, for one thing, it can be it can be fun right from the beginning if you know it's it's going to be over soon. The being a fool part, but it also after that very first sort of toddler phase. You've got such a boyish energy on the new topic. It's like a new lease on life. It doesn't matter what age you are when you're learning something new like that that you know you need to get on top of, it's so consuming. It's really fun. It's a fun journey once you get past that first phase of feeling like a complete tool. Um so I this week I'm or probably next week I'm going to be doing this. My new domain is going to be Linux. So I I'm, I'm going to I've been on Mac for 10 years, so I'm going to jump into Linux and uh That'll probably take me two or three months before I don't feel like a fool, <laughs> but uh, but I'm ready for it. You know, I'm ready to jump in there because I'm, I'm getting used to that to that process. Anyway, so Peterson says be willing to be a fool, but he also says pursue mastery in whatever domain you find yourself in. So that the, the I think this is another part of the soft Satanism that's getting into these millennials, this pursue your passion thing, and I was a little bit of a victim of that of that mantra. But there's been plenty of people pointing out how flawed it is. And one thing, passion is so fleeting. It's like a childish emotion. As your understanding changes, your passions change. And no matter what you're pursuing, the passion's not going to be there. It could be for very long periods of time. Um, So if you are using passion as your guide, you're going to drop everything. I mean, you'll never get past six months in anything. And so pursue your passion isn't quite right. Um, but anyway, to, to just to make sure everybody knows, I don't feel like I've got the answer on this. I've, I've really hesitated with this recording because I, 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 I don't have the final position, but I just want to explore the discourse on these different points of view, hopefully um, get, gain some more clarity for myself and hopefully get some feedback from you. I think that story of the hero's journey, I think if we all uh, kind of, were more aware of that one and kind of carried that one around with us we would be more willing to get off our bleacher chair and go help the the teenage girl that's getting mistreated for no reason because you know the the hero's journey is like you something really bad happened everything looked lost you stuck to your principle you grinded it out you know like that's kind of the way it goes everybody thought you were a pariah for a while and then you just built your character from that whole experience, you know, that whole thing. That's the psychology that's not, doesn't seem to be pervasive, at least. Oh, anyway, I'm sure it's out there, and, I, and, I, and a lot of these voices that I keep talking about are, are definitely on that journey. But I think there's a lack of awareness that the soft Satanism is permeating. So let me, just, let me just name the dissonances and then I'll name a couple other sort of mantras that we hear all the time and why I think they're flawed. Like I said, I don't have the conclusion exactly, like not exactly at all, <laughs> but, uh, but, I, but I wanted to share and then I'll end off with, with Michael Jones quotes on the future. The dissonances, here's a couple. One is everyone thinks they're a good person and at the same time they think they can make up their own morality on a daily basis. And at the same time, they think they're not accountable to any kind of God, higher power, or conscience per se. So that's, that's one dissonance. They think they're living by the golden rule. And at the same time, they're sitting on their bleacher sh- seats. while you know, they're able to talk themselves out of good Samaritan type behavior at the, at the exact same time. So it's just, a, it's just incredible the number of pockets of dissonance we're carrying around. The other funny one is that everyone, I've talked about this before, everyone believes in karma. Everyone believes in karma. But everyone also believes they can make up their own morality as they go. So, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, I shouldn't say everyone. But in terms of culture, it seems there's a lot. There are many, many. So then the other mantras that are better, they're better than pursue your passion, and they're better than pursue your personal net worth. Some people are just blatantly... I mean they're just blatantly hedonistic. And if and if your you know, if your lifestyle looks good, then you win, kind of a thing. You know what I mean? Like do you have any idea what an empty existence that would be, sitting on the beach with yourself at your early retirement? Like you've got nothing on the inside happening there. But anyway, so the other ones that have more substance, but I still think they're extremely flawed, and I think that this pandemic experience has pointed it out even more to me. But they say, uh, well, resume values versus eulogy values. So resume values—that's just—that's just. That's just uh, I mean, that could have substance to it, but that's just, you know, how employable you are, and how high of a level you can employ yourself in corporates. And so that—that's that, a certain. There's not. I mean, it's fantastic. Resume, r- true resume substance is fantastic. But is it something really to live your life by? Hey, that's uh i guess it's 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 part of the picture but eulogy values i think that one's really funny now because you can see that people don't know what they think until you tell them you know so you can have this incredible popular person that's lived their life caring about the circles around them what they think and what they're going to say at their funeral but you're just that's just a pr campaign right i mean that there's no there's absolutely no substance to that, and the chances are, the wealthier you are, the more people you're going to have around you saying nice things about you at your funeral, you know? I just think that's completely flawed. So, I'm just going to share what's, I wouldn't even say working, but keeps my conscience clear. It's not even what keeps my conscience clear, that's not a good way to put it. It's just more that what makes sense to me at this point. And what makes sense to me at this point, I do like the idea of the deathbed conscience, or uh, looking back, or being judged by yourself, by yourself looking back on your choices. I do like that. But I think what we're trying to do, and Dan pania did say this in the interview, you know, it's a it's a recruitment poster, but be all you can be. But be all you can be. That's that's still missing a piece. You don't want to be what somebody else is. You don't want to you don't want to compare yourself to a celebrity someone that's being held up as a celebrity and then try and be that person that's completely not resonating with who you are right I mean sorry if I'm stating the obvious here but to me what we're trying to do is leave some sort of a jet stream of the signature of your soul on this experience that's to me what we're trying to do we've 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 signed ourselves up at some level for this soul experience and what we're going to want to account ourselves for is did we bring the full being of our soul into this experience to the best of our ability to you know reduce some suffering and do some lasting good in the world to me that's that's roughly a conscience that can be motivating inspiring and if you end up living alone in your dying days you, you you're probably going to be okay with yourself if that's the case so i I, I, maybe someone else has, has stated that more clearly somewhere, but that's that's the one that makes sense to me, the uh, soul signature. All right, so I'm going to hand it over to Mr. to Dr. Jones. I hope you like what he's got to say. It's uh, lucid as ever. I just hope I've given you a few tidbits to to consider because I think this soft Satanism at uh, in all its forms, in your households, in your workplaces, that's what's enabling this complete disaster of tyranny tiptoeing its way into everyone's everyday lives. So maybe, maybe, oh, yeah, (laughs) this isn't a magic bullet, it's just an idea I wanted to share. Somebody was saying, you know, even though all the culprits are exposed and all the facts are exposed, I mean, well, there's no death rate, okay? They fake the deaths and they still don't have any death rate, so that's one. The tests are completely proven to be uh, manipulated and completely unreliable. They're not even intended to be used for what they're using them for, and at the same time, uh, no matter what they amplify, the, 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 it's completely unreliable. There is nothing contagious happening. It, if there's an illness out there, it's not jumping from one person to another. So that just kills that whole thing. <laughs> you know, like all of these facts, and then all and the culprits and their and their corporate ties and their capitalistic uh, financial interests that are tied into the whole agenda. I mean, it's just so obvious. But the, but the the swamp is so rotten. I'm sorry to use the stump phrase. The swamp is so rotten. Like somebody said to me, I'm glad you're so optimistic. What could possibly clean it up? You know, but I, I don't, I, there must be a mechanism in place. And it must be there in the USA. It must be there. That you could have a, a grand jury initiated by citizens or by, you know, lawyers with a case. And you get, like, um, Bobby Kennedy together with David Boyce, together with Del Bigtree. You get some of these guys, uh, Dr. Martin, with that know the facts, and you just haul in the, the worst offenders, the 12 to 20 offenders. They're going to be both sides of the aisle. into a. And then, I think, once you once you start exposing them for what... For, how they violated the, their oaths of office and what they've perpetrated on humanity. I think the whistleblowers would come out of the woodwork at that point. I just think uh, everyone's everyone's sitting on their bleacher chair in a state of inaction, uh, waiting for someone to have some kind of a course correction that has teeth. And I think there must be a mechanism like that in USA. That's what keeps me motivated. Because the system has been proven to be so corruptible, but it's because so many good people are standing by. Whatever that expression is, I know there's a quote there. <laughs> anyway, enjoy the closing here. Uh, thanks for coming back. I hope I managed to scope out the 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 challenge. I'm trying to I'm trying to articulate. We'll get some more clarity in the, on this as we go on. All right, thanks. Google, and as painful as it is, Logos is definitely rising.
3: So what, what do we mean by a color revolution? Well, the most recent examples are uh, the Ukraine uh, and Iran. Iran in 2009. What happened in Iran 2009? Ahmadinejad was running for re-election. Ahmadinejad was in a situation similar to Donald Trump. He was the populist candidate. He had been a mayor of Tehran and had created a fund for women without dowries. So he was helping them get married. The people loved Ahmadinejad, but the elites didn't. Northern Tehran was dead set against him, and they talked to each other. They control the, the media to a large extent and came to the conclusion that no decent person would ever vote for Ahmadinejad. And uh, all of my friends are, are against him, and they're all decent people, so therefore he can't win. Well, he does win. And at this point, there is the people are moved onto the street, okay, huge demonstrations, uh, protesting this. It could not have been possible. There must have been fraud because all of my friends voted for the other guy. That was the kind of logic that went on here. They got a lot of people on the streets, and then once you reach a certain critical mass on the street— you start killing people. This happened in the Ukraine. Uh, very clearly, there were operatives that were shooting people, shooting into the crowd. The same thing happened in Tehran. So the, the, there's a demonstration in front of the Basiji, which is the big organization that supports the uh, the Supreme Leader and the, the, the ruling party. And at a certain point, some people get shot. And then the news goes out that... Uh, Ahmadinejad is shooting his own people, killing his own people. Well, we heard that before because we heard it in Libya. Remember, Gaddafi was shooting is killing his own people, except that it turns out it was ISIS operatives that were put there by the United States, and Hillary Clinton was responsible for the murder of Gaddafi. We also heard the same thing in uh, Syria. I can't tell you how many mainstream news reports I heard of people saying Assad is killing his own people. That is going to happen in November. That's what's going to happen. So be prepared. Okay, there's going to be a contested election. We know who's behind it. It's called the um, Transition Integrity Project. It's run by a Jew by the name of Norm Eisen, who was uh, associated with the Obama administration, and they are going. They are working out strategies to deny Trump re-election which will uh, involve, first of all, not conceding. No one is allowed to concede. I mean, Biden is not allowed to concede on election night. Uh, This will draw it out into a much longer operation. Votes will be counted that weren't there before. And during this period of time, you will have Antifa and Black Lives Matter rioting in the streets in uh, imitation of the type of rioting that happened in uh, in iran and the ukraine and so i'm telling the i'm telling you ahead of time guys if you're in antifa if you're in one of those demonstrations plan to get shot because one of your own people is going to shoot you and then they're going to blame it on the government they're going to blame it on donald trump and that will be an excuse to overthrow the government that's what's coming down the pike yeah what's going on here why is how is so in 1984 the fbi gets in bed with the adl and then the adl starts pointing out to the fbi who they're supposed to apprehend as criminals Uh, 1984 is also the year that uh mo dallas was given the adl's um uh torches of 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 freedom award torches of liberty or something like that mo dallas was a notorious mafioso criminal who went from being a uh, uh, head of the Jewish Navy in Cleveland to going legit in uh, Las Vegas uh, by giving the ADL lots of money. So it's a money laundering operation uh, to protect Jewish criminals. Well, of course, if these people are calling the shots, of course they're not going to go after Antifa because Antifa is a Jewish organization. We know that they brag about it. Google Google, mm-hmm. Uh, Antifa and history, and uh, you'll find, I forget which magazine, I I put it in the footnote, which which Mm -hmm. Jewish magazine goes into great detail about their history as a Jewish organization. They're proud of it. If I say it, I'm an anti-Semite. There were people, the consciousness came to a certain point, okay, And, and when they started saying vaccine, then the people got really upset. Because suddenly the government is going to impose something on you, like a vaccine, a chemical that somebody invented that you're going to allow them to put in your body, jeopardizing your health. Especially after we know uh, Bill Gates' track record in India, all the people who died in India as a result of his vaccines, all the people who died in Africa as a result of those vaccines. And that's going to, uh, we're supposed to do that. Uh, I think that was the turning point. I think people what you have here is uh, you've got people with a lot of guns here, you know, and I think it's I think it's stupid. (laughs) I I think it's an obsolete form of uh, warfare. You know, it's we're dealing with state of the art warfare right now because it's a warfare about ideas. But the fact of the matter is that there are lots of people with guns. And if you came to them, as they did in India, I I saw the video in India, the medical professionals showed up at a house in India and they say, we want to test your mother and see if she's uh, got the COVID virus. Well, they they had to escape. They were running for their lives because they're not going to put up with that. The Indians, even a, a country as docile as the Indians, they're not going to put up with it. And so a country that's armed to the teeth like America, they're not going to put up with it. And I think this is precisely what happened. The oligarchs understood it's over. It's not going to work. And that's why we have race riots. That's why we had to shift. I mean, this is I'm not denying that somebody died. That's true. But the question is. What do you put on the evening news? That's the real question. Who decides yeah. what gets on the evening news? Who decides that nothing but this is going to get on the evening news? Just as nothing but COVID virus was on the evening news for three months. And now we, who, does, who makes these decisions? And what is the purpose of their decisions? And what the, what is their agenda? This is something we have to ask because they're imposing this on us uh, out of fear. We are supposed to comply because we're scared to death of, of dying of a virus. And once we woke up to that fact, they had to change the narrative. They had to change it on their own. And so yeah. one day after the riots in Minneapolis, the governor of Michigan announced, hey, we're lifting the lockdown. Okay. Of course he did. She lifted the lockdown because she knew that she was in trouble. Because the majority of the people in the state of Michigan had decided, we're, we're over. This is, we've had it. We're going out. We're going outside. And so to save face and to distract everyone's attention, she announced it after the Minneapolis riot started. It's the fact that people like you are the main victims. Uh, uh, people who own restaurants, small restaurants, small businesses—these are the people that really were driven to the wall by this by this coronavirus lockdown. And this is one of the last bastions of economic independence in our society. I mean, it was under threat. I mean, the fact that we have McDonald's, these these fast food chains, has destroyed thousands and thousands of businesses, small businesses of people who used to make a living by making hamburgers or something like that. These were the victims and this has got to be made apparent.